Luke chapter 11, verses 14 through 26, as we continue our, um, our sermon series through the book of Luke, the gospel of Luke. Now Jesus was casting out a demon that was mute. When the demon had gone out, the mute man spoke, and the people marveled. But some of them said, He cast out demons by Beelzebul, the prince of demons, while others, to test him, kept seeking from him a sign from heaven. But he, knowing their thoughts, said to them, Every kingdom divided against itself is laid waste, and a divided household falls. And if Satan also is divided against himself, how will his kingdom stand? For you say that I cast out demons by Beelzebul. And if I cast out demons by Beelzebul, by whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore they will be your judges. But if it is by the finger of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. When a strong man, fully armed, guards his own palace, his goods are safe. But when one stronger than him attacks him and overcomes him, he takes away his armor in which he trusted and divides his spoil. Whoever is not with me is against me. And whoever does not gather with me scatters. When the unclean spirit has gone out of a person, it passes through waterless places seeking rest. And finding none, it says, I will return to my house from which I came. And when it comes, it finds the house swept and put in good order. Then it goes and brings seven other spirits more evil than itself, and they enter and dwell there. And the last state of that person is worse than the first. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God abides forever. Amen. Please be seated. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we ask the blessing upon the preaching of your word. We ask that you would you would work in us so that we're not just hearing sounds, but that those words true to your scripture would go deep into our hearts and that you would cause them to bear much fruit. Pray that you would especially, Lord, draw us close to our Savior as we hear about what a strong Savior he is. We pray this in his name. Amen. Well, I need to make a nerdy confession to you all. I love to study battle history. Um, it is one of my nerdy pastimes. Natalie knows sometimes I'll be up late at night, you know, watching uh, the the, ba- you know, the battle plans of the Civil War, or uh, you know maybe I'm studying the uh, you know, World War II, the Battle of the Bulge, um, up close and personal, seeing where where different uh, generals made their attacks and other generals made their counterstrikes, and this was true ever since. Uh, high school, ever since social studies class, when I would really zone out when I would hear about the dates, you know, different things happened, or different things that governments did. But when, whenever I'd hear about military history, you know, things happening on the, the epic stage of world history, I would get interested. 
But this morning, we have something even more exciting, even more epic than the, the clash of the Allied and Axis powers in World War II. We have a collision of two kingdoms, a cosmic collision between the powers of, of, of darkness and the powers of the kingdom of God, the power of light. We've been talking about the kingdom of God for several weeks now, really since we started the book of Luke, and a few people said, hey, I want to know what this means. What is the kingdom of God? And so we tried to tackle that about two weeks ago when we were talking about the kingdom of God as Luke talked to, uh, told us about that in the Lord's Prayer. What do we pray? Thy kingdom come. And what are we praying for when we ask for God's kingdom to come? We are praying that God's rule and reign over the hearts of sinners would advance. That he would reclaim sinners for his own. And as he does that, his sovereignty in the world would be more and more fully recognized by all who submit to his power. That's the kingdom of God. His rule and reign over all things and especially over the hearts of rebellious sinners. So Jesus is on the road to Jerusalem and the closer he gets to Jerusalem, the more the hostile uh, forces of darkness press in against him. The more we're going to see, in fact, conflict between Jesus and all sorts of people and all sorts of demons. Because Jesus is bent on fulfilling God's purpose. But as he goes there, he's not just on the defensive against the attacks from the forces of darkness. What we're going to see this morning is that Jesus is on the offensive. He's on the move. And we need to see five, we could call them military maneuvers, five strategic strikes of the kingdom of God against the kingdom of darkness. And as we look at each of these maneuvers, forgive me, I think there's actually four of them. There are. Four strategic strikes against the kingdom of darkness. And as we look at them, I want us to see this, that the kingdom of Christ has secured the victory, but we are faced with a choice. The kingdom of Christ has secured the victory, but we are faced with a decision. So turning to the first of these maneuvers of Christ against the kingdoms of darkness, we see that Jesus drives out demons. Our text begins with a man who is made mute by an evil spirit. And this isn't the first time that we've seen the kingdom of darkness exercising its control by enslaving people. In chapter 8, we met a man tortured by so many demons that he called himself legion. He was literally possessed by an army of evil spirits. And then in chapter 9, we met a boy, a miserable boy possessed by a demon. That demon would dash him to the ground. It would throw him, uh, break his bones, make him convulse. He's like, you know, the, the marionette of a puppet master. Here we see something even more disturbing. Perhaps even more gruesome. We see a man who is under the power of, de- of a demonic ventriloquist. He only speaks when the demon allows him to speak. He can't even raise his voice to say help. 
He can't even make a sound of the first two words of the Lord's Prayer before he can even say, Abba, our Father. The demon silences his tongue. So what a picture of the grip of the kingdom of darkness. Perhaps we don't today see people mute from demonic influence, but what we definitely see, make no mistake about this, are people who are silenced from speaking true words, godly words, words of praise to God, because of the powers of the forces of darkness that influence them, hold people in their grips. So here this man sits in his silent world, in his silent darkness, until Jesus steps onto the scene. And what Jesus does is like a missile strike against the forces of evil. What does he do? He silences the demon. He sends it running for the hills. And then once again, it's like a complete change. The man speaks. I'd love to hear what he said. But I imagine it was exultant. Here we have a decisive victory against the kingdom of God. And so you'd think that people would erupt in praise, right? What do you think would happen when this incredible scene is unfolding? You'd think that people would be praising God for this wonderful work against the forces of darkness. But unbelief always finds a way. And so verse 15, we hear this, but some said, He cast out demons by Beelzebul, the prince of demons. Now, uh, maybe you've heard of the name Beelzebub. Beelzebub is the name of a Canaanite god uh, from way back in Israel's history. And it it was the god of their pagan neighbors. And what it meant was the exalted one. It was praising a false god as being the exalted one. And so the Jews took this name and they changed it to Beelzebul, which means Lord of Dung, Lord of the Flies, a kind of pun to say, uh, to, we want no part of this god. He is a god of death and disgust. By the time Jesus came onto the scene, this was a name commonly used, not only for a Canaanite god, but for the prince of false gods, Satan himself. So what are they saying when they say this? He cast out demons by Beelzebul. They're saying, Jesus, you're only doing this powerful miracle because of who you're working for. You're working for the devil. That's how you do this. Nice trick, Jesus. We we see it, but we know what you're really up to. You're a spy for the kingdom of darkness. And of course, you see others chime in. Hey, nice show, Jesus, but could you show us a sign? How about the one you just saw, right? Uh, Exercising a demon from a mute man. No, not that kind of sign. We want to see one from heaven. And so these are like children in the marketplace that we've heard way back in chapter 7. What are they doing? Singing, we played the flute for you, and you did not dance. We sang a dirge for you, but you did not weep. Jesus, we want miracles, but we want them on our terms. How does Jesus respond? Well, he responds with the second maneuver against the kingdom of darkness. He responds by debating the skeptics. Jesus, 
drives out demons, and now he debates the skeptics. And with what masterful skills. We've got debaters in this room today, a whole host of them, and you, you have to appreciate what is going on. Let me just fix this real quick. Got to restart our live stream. Sorry. Sorry, folks. There we go. All right. So we see Jesus debate, driving out the demons, first of all. But we also see him debating the skeptics. With masterful skills. What does he do? Jesus exposes the absurdity of their reasoning. Every kingdom divided against itself is laid waste, and a divided household falls. Now, every military strategist knows that's true, that civil war is self-sabotage. What general ever said, okay, I have a genius strategy to destroy the enemy, and here it is. Let's start burning down our own forts. Let's start launching grenades into our own troops. So Jesus is just inviting them. Follow the logic here. If every kingdom divided against itself falls, if I'm really working for Satan, then Satan is sabotaging his own kingdom. He's launching grenades into the armies of the kingdom of darkness. It's complete nonsense. But let's just take this a step further. Look at what Jesus says. If I'm working for Satan, then who are your sons working for when they go and cast out demons? Because Jews in his day were known to do this, actually cast out demons. So Jesus is saying, let's just follow the logic here. If I'm working for Satan, who are they employed for? And why are you so quick to apply one kind of logic to me, but not to others? And of course, Jesus knows It's because of the evil in their own hearts. It's not about logic. But Jesus gives them a third option. If I'm not working for Satan, then could it be, could you entertain the possibility that what you're seeing here is actually the kingdom of God advancing in incredible power? What you're seeing, could it be a blitzkrieg against the kingdom of darkness? Not sure. Not sure. I'm just going to keep going, though. Verse 20. But if it is by the finger of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Could it be that every time Jesus casts out a demon, that Satan's armies sound a retreat? Could it be that with every miracle, the prince of darkness loses ground. And that's exactly what is happening here. Because we see not only Jesus driving out demons, debating the skeptics, but finally, or third, we see him dethroning the strong man. Verse 21. 
When a strong man, fully armed, guards his own palace, his goods are safe. But when one stronger than him attacks him and overcomes him, he takes away his armor and divides the spoil. What we see here is a disturbing picture of Satan, the prince of darkness. Satan is the strong man of this story. Jesus says he's like a prince who hides his goods in a castle fortress. And then in that uh, almost impenetrable fortress, he stands at its gates himself uh, with, with strong armor. Ready for anyone who comes to attack. Do you believe that that's what Satan's power over the world is like? Second Corinthians 4 4 says this that Satan is the God of this world. It says that he has blinded the minds of unbelievers. And then Ephesians 2 2 says this that Satan is the prince of the power of the air. He has taken a, a mighty treasure to himself. What is that treasure? It is, it is many souls. But don't miss the powerful picture of Jesus that is here. If Satan is the strong man, then who is Jesus? He's the stronger man. Jesus is the one who comes with unstoppable force and dethrones the Prince of Pride. In fact, he's already done that. Jesus has uh, dethroned Satan from his high and lofty place. We read about that even in Isaiah chapter 49 today, right? Taking back captives from the mighty man. 1 John 3 says this, Just a simple summary of what Jesus came to do. The Son of God came to destroy the works of the devil. When did Jesus knock Satan off of his throne? When did he storm his castle and take back souls? Well, he did that, we see first, through these miracles during the time of his incarnation, but also... Especially, we see it on the cross, which was kind of D-Day of, the, of the, the work of Christ. What did he do? On the cross, Jesus disarmed the rulers and authorities of the kingdom of darkness, and he put them to open shame. Colossians 2.15. And then, Colossians 1.13 says this, that rising again from the dead, Jesus marched, out of the, marched us out of the slavery that we had to Satan's kingdom. And he brought us all the way to the kingdom of his marvelous light. That's the decisive victory, the secured victory of Jesus in this text. And and what are we waiting for? We're only waiting for him to come again to, to fully crush the head of the serpent. We've seen D-Day, and now we're, we're only waiting for V-Day, Victory Day, because Jesus' victory against Satan is secured. So what do we see in this text? We see Jesus driving out demons. We see him debating the skeptics. We see him dethrone, dethroning the strong man. Military maneuvers against the kingdom of darkness. 
But we need to close by seeing one more offensive strategy here in this text. We see Jesus demanding a decision. He looks at the crowd. He looks at each of you. And he leaves you with an unavoidable question. Whose side are you on? You'll notice that there's no neutrality in the clash between these kingdoms. There's no Switzerland that you can just camp out in until these, you know, the battle's fully over. There's no place where you can avoid taking sides. So we all have to decide where we stand with Jesus. Verse 23, whoever is not with me is against me. And whoever does not gather with me scatters. So let me press this just a bit harder. Maybe you're listening to this this morning and you've been admiring Jesus from a distance. You appreciate Jesus as a great teacher. Maybe you even see him as a prophet. But when Jesus starts talking about submitting your uh, life to him as Lord, when he starts talking about being the son of God, then you back off a bit. Say, wait, wait a minute here. I'm just going to watch from a distance. Jesus, Jesus says to you this morning, if you are not for me, you are against me. If you do not submit your life to me, if you do not acknowledge me as Lord, you're not, you're not just okay with me. You're not just neutral. You're against me. Maybe this morning you belong to Jesus. You know him as your Lord and Savior, but your heart isn't consistent with that. Maybe on Sunday mornings you stand with the army of God, but then on most days it feels like your, uh, the, the life of, your, uh, of your, your thoughts, the places of your heart, the sins you indulge in, it's like you're switching uniforms. Jumping on the side of the kingdom of darkness. You know, what Jesus says to you this morning is that you can't have it both ways. He wants us to let go of every whiff of half-heartedness, every compromise that we have to his kingdom. He's calling us to total commitment. And he gives us this story. Maybe you saw this and said, well, what on earth is he talking about? Story of an evil spirit. When an evil spirit has gone out of a person, in verse 24, it passes through waterless places seeking rest, finding none. So what's happening? Jesus is saying, take this guy for an example. I just cast a demon out of him. Now what happens? Well, the demon, personal agent, goes wandering around. And we've already seen earlier in the book of Luke that there's, for some rhyme or reason, uh, we don't know, this is mysterious to us, Demons want to inhabit places, things. What do we see with Legion? They want, to, they want to be cast out from him, say, and they want to go into a bunch of pigs. So, for some rhyme or reason, demons uh, exercise from a person. They are restless. And in the meantime, what's happening to the guy who's been cleansed of this demon? Well, he's tidying up his life. It feels pretty good without... Um, an evil spirit inhabiting him. So maybe he, you know, turns over some new leaves. You know, in classic 
Marie Kondo fashion. He simplifies his life. Starts cursing less. You know, becomes, becomes a more pleasant person all around. And so he turns his life into a clean, well-lighted place. What does Jesus say about this? Jesus says, that moral renovation, that self-moral transformation won't last. And here's why. You've just made yourself a hotel for demons. You've cleaned out your life just to make room for more. Do you notice that? What does he say? He says this. Verse 26. The demon goes, it brings seven other spirits more evil than itself, and they enter and dwell there, and the last state of that person is worse than the first. Let's get to the heart of what's practical about what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying that it's not enough just to be empty of Satan. You have to be filled with the Spirit of God. It's not enough just to be freed from the clutches of an evil spirit. You have to become an outpost for the kingdom of God. See, we're coming back to that theme. No neutrality. If you are not for me, you are against me. So Jesus, with this story, with this it, with these words, demands a decision. Do you know him as your captain? Do you know him as your savior? Are you filled with the spirit of the living God? Let's go to him in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the hope you give us in this text that you are advancing against the forces of darkness triumphantly, that you have secured the victory and that now you call us to a decision. Lord, we pray that you would work in us by your spirit to know Christ, to know the power of his resurrection and to be able to say with Joshua, as for me and my house, we serve the Lord. Help that to be the confession of our hearts today so that we are safe from darkness because we are in the arms of our Savior and the Spirit who indwells us. We pray this in his name. Amen.